When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 140, and this will opinion brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and it's been a hot minute, but I'm happy to have Diana Christine back on the show. Hi, Diana. Hi. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, I would have preferred to be back under better circumstances, so to speak, but, um, you know, any time to talk to you is nice. Well, you know, I promise I wasn't keeping you off the show because of your shared allegiances to Liverpool, but I do have to start by asking how you managed to navigate the last few weeks. It's uh, It's been p- pretty rough because the thing about being a fan of two teams that face each other is that you cannot fully experience either one of the two sentiments because I can't be happy for Liverpool and be sad for Barca completely you know like right. i can't immerse myself in either of those feelings because because they're both there at the same time for me so it's been very weird well i think we're going to at least be able to put the anfield part of your your heart behind us uh for at least this show um because again they'll be playing yeah. the champions league final but uh we have a ton of listener questions today as we've been doing the last few weeks actually we've had so many listener questions from la ronda that we're basically creating our entire show out of La Ronda. And that's going to be the same thing we do today, starting with a question from Ellie, which a lot of these questions are centered around a lot of the same points and sentiments. Fewer about Valverde than you think, but we're going to have one or two questions on him. But where we start here are on thoughts on a potential Griezmann purchase. Is he really the missing link to secure at least one more Champions League before Messi retires? 
and, and I guess the way this all starts, uh, Deanna, I would actually just have to simplify it and say, what do you think of Antoine Griezmann? I think that Griezmann is a really good player who uh, was able to perform in Simeone's Atleti very well and uh, was able to do a tactical role very well during the last World Cup for France because even though he wasn't, you know, like the main star because they had like Mbappe and stuff stealing the spotlights, but from a tactical standpoint, that team worked because of him. So he is a great player. I'm not exactly sure how he fits for us because usually he's been better when playing off a nine and not being a nine. So that's basically kind of the same thing that Messi does. So I'm not exactly sure if we're not just getting ourselves if we buy him, which is not certain at this point. So I'm not certain if we're not getting ourselves into another tactical problem in which the player that we spent more than 100 million on can play the best in the position where we have the world's best player. So we can play him in his best position. I'm not exactly sure how he fits. Yeah, I mean, we did actually have a previous show on this. Just type in TBPod uh, on the BarcaBlog.com. You can search Griezmann, and you'll have all the content we've ever had on Griezmann, uh, as there were links to him not only last summer but throughout the season as well, uh, right in the fall there. But in terms of Antoine Griezmann not fitting at the club, this is something that with a little more research, I started to, uh, I guess, kind of deny that it was... I guess to say, while Luis Suarez being a number nine, trying to replace him, and there are questions on that upcoming, but that would make the most sense that you'd want to do a like-for-like replacement. But in terms of Griezmann, if he were to play in that center forward role, here's some stats for you. This season, he has had 21 goals, 10 assists, and uh, 8 cards, and I do blame Diego Simeone's system for that, in almost 4,000 minutes. Played 47 matches this season. He's played 23 of them as a center forward, where he has 17 goals, 4 assists, He's had 22 matches as a second striker, uh, which, again, a position that Barca really does not have, uh, where he's had four goals and five assists. He's had one match as an attacking mid and one as a right wing where he has one assist. Now, as you mentioned, for France, he's played largely as a second striker, but also on both wings and as center forward. Uh, and I want to remind everyone that he started as a left winger with Real Sociedad, where he played more than 100 matches. He played more than 200 matches for Real Sociedad, uh, again, um, with the large majority of them coming at left wing, as as many younger players are, though, as they, you know, from teenage years and early 20s, they usually are out in the wing before their bodies develop and they move inside. I think from a tactical perspective, I'm not actually too worried about him. He's shown that he has supreme versatility and not in a way that does he have a best position, but he's such a talented high-level player. He really is. I mean, you have to say, what, one of the top 5, 10 most most talented attacking options that exist in the world currently? I mean, that's just how good he's been. Uh, and I think even some of that is hidden in Diego Simeone's system. And it reminds me of college basketball where when guys go to certain programs, whether you're uh, – and Syracuse is the one that always sticks out to me, where because of the way they play in that zone – when guys go to the NBA, you see these guys kind of jump off the page more than they did even in college because they have a little more room and systems to express themselves. And I think that's what he would be afforded at Barcelona. The two things that worry me the most, though, that we haven't mentioned yet is that, yes, that release clause drops to 120 million euros reportedly on July 1st, uh, which makes him guess more affordable. And in today's market, I guess 120 million for a top 10 attacking option is what you have to pay. That's the price. But part two of that is his age, where he will be. He's 28 now, so he'll be 
again, older in the next few years. He'll be hitting 30 before we know it. And do you want to bring in a player of that age? But I guess a follow-up to that, Diana, I would say, do you think that this time period for Barcelona has to be extended? Are we, you know, are we continuing to extend the lifeline of Messi by bringing in a more elder, more established attacking option? I'm not sure. I mean, for me, the main thing about Messi and, you know, playing the attack around him and planning how a team should run is about having players who understand understand him and move in relation to him and are able to make the runs that he needs players to make because one of, if not the biggest problem that Barca have had from a tactical standpoint this year was the fact that we just didn't have any kind of speed in attack. Like we had Dembele who was injured or not playing or whatever. And when he wasn't playing or when Malcolm wasn't playing for whatever reason, there's just no speed there for a counterattack for any type of fast movement. And you've got Jordi Alba, but you can't rely on making the one move that everybody in the solar system knows that you're going to make with Messi passing deep for Alba and Alba returning the pass. Because teams will read that and will stop that. So I think that speed is the thing that we lack the most in terms of what Messi needs. And it's just, I don't know, I'm not entirely certain that the sole objective here is to focus on the next, I don't know, three, four years, whatever, to get another Champions League. I mean, obviously, that should be one of the the objectives. But I think that everything, I mean, I'm kind of weird about this in a way, because I kept saying, even at the start of the season, that... I think this Champions League obsession can be very unhealthy because our goal as a club, as a team, as you know, a group should be to be the best version of ourselves that is possible. And that isn't related necessarily to winning the Champions League or whatever trophy. It is just being the best team, playing good football, entertaining the fans. If you do that, if you build a system that is functional and that is, you know, entertaining and good, and you add Messi to that, the titles will come. But I think that we're putting the carriage in front of the horses, as it were, because we're setting our goal on winning, but not... Pro, uh, not focusing on the process that could get us there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure. And I, I agree with the point uh, that, that you were making, that the club itself can't set itself up for failure in the far future just by, again, can continuing to harp on the near future uh, with this transfer policy. But we're going to get into a little bit of that later. For now, I do want to uh, kind of move off... Uh, Again, what's currently happening over the summer and stick with what you said about an unhealthy obsession. Uh, a question from Armin. Taking a break from football after Anfield, that's what Ar- Armin did. Do you feel that's something others should try in this age of pressure from social media? I think that taking breaks from Twitter is always advisable, especially when you feel like it's getting too much. I'm not sure about football necessarily. I mean, last Sunday was probably 
the most I've had to talk myself into watching Barca. I mean, I was just so mad and angry and sad and frustrated and everything that I just, I literally had to convince myself that I had to watch them. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that it was the same process for a lot of people. And I'm sure that it was the same process for even the players who were playing. Like, they would have rather been anywhere else. But you have to get through with it because at the end of fandom, fandom is about being there in good times and in bad. So, you know, get the need for breaks. Yeah, it even said on the Patreon uh, after the Hadafe match that Hadafe was probably the worst team that Barcelona could have played in that kind of circumstance because of the way that Hadafe does play. That after that kind of loss, all Barcelona fans seemed to want was to enjoy watching their team and watching the football they were playing. But Hadafe has just such a way, and they've succeeded by doing that in the league of this season by kicking and fouling and making everything disjointed and and uh, and make trying to make Messi above all else disgruntled. So I think people, I mean, after the Hadafe match, and again, this is what I said on the Patreon, that I had no idea what the score was. I went, I couldn't actually watch it on time, uh, at the time that it was going on, the match, and so I had to watch it at like eight, ten hours later. But not a single time on Twitter could I even tell that Messi had scored. I didn't know that Messi scored. I didn't know that they had won 2 nothing. I had no idea what happened other than that people were mad at Coutinho and that he had got hurt, and that's the only news bit of news that I knew. It was just a lot of Ernesto Valverde out. So I think when it came to that, uh, that sort of dialogue, and we are getting into a season where I would admit, uh, I would recommend. I mean, I see if I didn't run this podcast, Diana. I mean, b- between you and I, and and all of our listeners, that I certainly would not be uh, tweeting. And you'll notice that our the Barcelona podcast Twitter account, you know, it, it might go a few hours or days without tweeting or something because I think if there's nothing to be said or if there's nothing of actual news that is true and there's truth to something, I, I don't like to spin myself in a tizzy when when I don't need to. Um, but this is that time of the year when we have to uh, get ourselves in a tizzy about transfers. And I think it's also really healthy to be excited about things. But again, we can't let all... Don't let your heart get broken if the lick doesn't wind up showing up, even though it looks like he will. But on the other regard to that is that people got all into Luka Jovic, and now not only does it look like he's going to Real Madrid, but now Barcelona are still, it seems like uh, their number nine options are dwindling. If Griezmann doesn't come either, then who knows what the club's going to do. So I asked this question from AJ. Do you think we should bring in a pure number nine as opposed to Griezmann? Uh, And this might also be in response to the fact that the website, I think it was hacked that it said that Alexander Lacazette was already at the club, which obviously is not true, and I don't know if that's going to be true either. Uh, I think that was just like, I think people figured out that you could search, I mean, you could add to the URL of the page, yeah. whatever name of an active player, and uh, it would show like their profile. It's maybe like a database that the club has in the background of, you know, players from all, all around the world. And somebody just, you know, accidentally found Lacazette's page. But that doesn't mean that we're, you know, like going for him. I'm sure that he's being considered as an option, maybe. Even though by this point, I think that we're in mid-May right now. I think that from from my standing, I consider that good planning is done in like March. I think that clubs at this size should decide who they want to get and have conversations and do the necessary work basically before the summer. Because by March, you should know, I mean, 
the thing about foc focusing on process is the fact that you don't care about the ultimate results. So by March, you have had six months to see how your team is playing and what your team needs from a tactical point of view and what your squad needs. So you should be able to do a plan for next season and not have to scramble in May and June and July and whatever. So that's where I stand. So I don't think that, that this is the point where we should be considering options. I'm talking from the club's perspective. I think that this is the point where the options should be set and we should be doing the actual work of signing them. I don't know who the targets are and I don't even know what, I mean, we've talked about this before when I've been on about replacing Suarez and what our possibilities are in that regard. And I always say that I just don't see any, you know, like all encompassing number nines like him who can do what he does. Maybe there's none out there. Maybe yeah. you just have to, you know, like get someone who works even though not as well as him. Yeah, I mean, I always try to think that this being the second season of Eric Abidal uh, as a sporting director, and it begs the question if, not if, but uh, what do clubs do when there is kind of turnover at those positions and does it restart a sporting project? Because we do use the term sporting project as well when we're talking about transfers. And I think when Abidal came in, you look at, all the work that he did last summer, uh, people were really happy with how last summer went, um, you know, believe it or not. And even after Real Madrid walloped Barcelona and it felt like all was all was lost and there were all these issues, um, still the way that the club responded, that Artur looked like a great piece of business, Langley looks like a great piece of business. Um, and, and that's kind of how Eric Albidal wind up getting, a, I guess you'd say, an A- minus an A for last summer's transfer. And now this is year two of that, we'll call it, Albidal sporting project. So if he remains for a few more seasons, I think that's the whole thing about Delict, that signing Delict is for, it's a 10-year project when you sign Delict, not necessarily even a two- or three-year project. Uh, and yes, that means in next season, there's too many center backs. But then eight years from now, when Barca still have the top center back in the world, they're going to be in a great position. And that's what the kind of business that, again, that's how highly I rate Delict. And it seems like a lot of people do. But that's what that kind of business means for the club. Uh, and then the second part of that is that when you have a team like Manchester United, who they have each and every manager that comes in, handpick some guys, and then you see the club under Mourinho and even the, the current club that, that Barcelona were against, it, it's... They say it's not the Manchester United of old, but they don't have a sporting director. So it really is ownership and a manager who has a lot more power than at most clubs in Europe and most top clubs in the world making decisions on player personnel. And so that's the kind of difficulty you run into when you don't have someone occupying those positions. And Barcelona not only have people in those positions, but they also have the revenue and they do have some players like a Coutinho on the books to potentially sell uh, that could recoup some of that. And I think the other thing about FFP we need to look at is while city, uh, teams like Manchester City and PSG, I mean, we can say that there's some kind of underhanded money being moved in certain places. And so even though they certainly broke FFP reg uh, regulations, they are not going to be punished uh, just simply because, again, there are, there's money moving around in places we don't see. I think it's dark money is what they call it. But again, not accusations against them. But again, merely we can see plainly that they broke those rules. And if Barcelona do, I would hope that they not only do they don't, but you know, I, I would hope they would get punished if they did, uh, and I think that's what that's what's fair. But uh, let's go back to the thought about Coutinho leaving the club. Steve asks, if we can secure Delict and Griezmann, who should go besides Coutinho? Yeah, you know, this is like really annoying for me from 
I know that we we said that we wouldn't talk about me as a Liverpool fan, but this is really annoying for me. The thing that the fact that this Coutinho transfer has not worked out at all, yeah, because he acted like such an idiot in order to leave Liverpool, where everybody loved him and worshipped him and you know like kissed the ground he walked on. You know he acted like an idiot and ruined and burned every bridge there and with the fandom and with everything. And then it's gone even worse than the most mean-spirited Liverpool fan could have wished him. I mean, this is so annoying. You yeah. know, yeah, if tough. you get your dream move and if you act like an idiot about it in order to get it, you would at least, you know, like expected to work out but it has not at all <laughs> right so yeah i think that he should definitely go but um i don't know about others i mean i think with deon coming in basically i've said this on twitter too but my starting midfield for next season and i'm not i know i'm probably not gonna you know like make a lot of plans for myself here, but my starting midfield for next season is De Jong and uh, Alenia and Arthur. So not even Busquets in my starting midfield. Mm -hmm. I'm like considering him, you know. Yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that he can do it anymore. Like maybe if the team played in a different way and we weren't so exposed and we weren't so, you know, always in transition between attack and defense and he could be more settled in pressing an attack, he would do the job better. But even then, I would worry about him more than I did like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think with the, when it comes to the midfield, it's just, uh, again, the online conversation and progression that we've already had that people are, you know, questioning whether or not Busquets will still be in the starting lineup last year. But it's funny to me that when you see everyone pick their starting three in the midfield, that Rakitic is already out of the equation, that it's almost people have resolved that Rakitic was not going to still be an incumbent starter next season, even if he's at the club, uh, which to me, as I've kind of said you know, in my heart of hearts that I don't think there's going to be as much turnover this season. I think the way that, that this season went, um, really where you had, what, you know, two or three bad results. I, I think of the, the 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 lashing that we got from Real Batiste in the fall, and then obviously what happened with Liverpool uh, in that one game, not even the tie, in just the, the, the game at Anfield. And, you know, I, I think that when you talk about turnover, you're going to see Andre Gomes Guys who aren't even in our mind is that Andre Gomez will be sold, that Denise Suarez will be sold, uh, Jasper Sillison we expect to be sold. And so there is some money being recouped there. And then, yes, if Coutinho is a big uh, sell as well, now you're already talking $100 million with probably just those four players. Uh, and that's something that the club is willing to work with. So I think it's going to be less turnover than you think there is, but I, I think there still will be surprises. And as I even you know wanted to remind people that you know Langley was somebody we didn't know anything about. Umtiti was somebody we didn't know anybody about. Artur was somebody we didn't know any about. So don't be surprised if somebody, uh, you know, we think that we know everyone who's good enough to play at Barcelona, but clubs continue to surprise us in good ways in that regard. And then again, some are flops as well that just don't work out. So well, let's focus on the midfield a little bit more. Rick asks, do we need more scoring from the midfield? Uh, Rakitic had five this year. Alenia had two. Vidal had three. Rafinha had one. Denise Suarez had two. Busquets and Arthur did not uh, contribute a goal. So other than Rakitic, uh, you got basically five goals in Alenia and Vidal um, from players who were normally in a rotation. 
with Rafinha and Denise Suarez, again, they haven't played for, you know, any, well, uh, for Denise Suarez, any of the spring, but uh, Rafinha's also been out for many, many months. Uh, so do you think there needs to be more scoring from the midfield? Or, Diana, do you think that Barcelona, the way they play, not necessarily feeding it to Messi, but really just relying on that, that very, very talented top three to, to score the goals? I think that we've never actually had, like, a ton of goals coming from midfield. That's always been an issue. But, yeah, I think that as we move forward, we shouldn't really always rely on, you know, Messi saving us or, I don't know, if Suarez isn't the starter next season, whoever the nine is or whatever. I think that the team itself should be more balanced and not, I mean, I know the question was about goals specifically, but in terms of chance creation, I think that this is the biggest problem that we have because everything in order to create a chance that we rarely have a play in which we don't use Messi and his genius or something that involves him in order to, to create chances. So more than goals themselves i would want the midfield to produce more goal scoring chances yeah i mean we it's been proven and paulina showed us last year that the only really the only option you have as a midfielder of scoring goals for barcelona because the whole point is to keep possession and teams because of the way that they drop back in those 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 low blocks against barcelona that the midfielders their job is to retain possession and don't necessarily pull the uh, the defenders out of line that's the job again of the attackers and also your job is to give Messi plenty of room to run into uh, to work those one twos with guys like Suarez and uh, just to be a supplemental part of keeping possession uh, around the box and that's the job of the midfielder so unless you have somebody like Paulinho who is uh, very very savvy and who really did excel at making those late runs into the box unless you have somebody like that then you know, goals are always in the Barcelona system going to be uh, far and few between. So I'm not too, too worried. I think when you look at with the young coming in, I can talk about him because he's a future Barcelona player. Uh, even the goals that he scored for Ajax this year were in a similar way of, I think he'll be able to pick up at the end of next season. You'll see one or two goals next to his name or three goals or whatever it may be because he does a very similar thing for Ajax. He plays almost the exact same role uh, for Ajax and uh, he's already comfortable with it. Uh, and as far as midfield uh, scoring, you know, he does have the ability to you know, if he does have ability to take a shot, uh, and I, I would actually, I don't know how much people are going to like this comparison, but I do like in his shot, Frankie de Young's, I mean, to Iniesta's, in that it is very opportunistic. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it's usually on frame. Uh, and again, it's not something that he's going to use or utilize a lot, but it is something in the arsenal. Now, speaking of things in our arsenal, Barcelona seem to be lacking a left back. That is something that they're they're going to need to reinforce. But Douglas asks, should we, we be hopeful that the club will pursue a left back like Ferland Mendy or Alex Grimaldo, uh, he of uh, Lyon and Benfica respectively, or someone like Rayo's Alex Moreno? Could this lead to signing another player that's not good enough for cheap? And we've talked about Ferland Mendy, particularly when they played against Lyon, and Kevin Williams has made uh, his opinion known that he seems to be the guy that, that he wants. Everyone seems to think Grimaldo could potentially come back to the club, but 
in the way that he left uh, with Luis Enrique, their relationship, and then I think ultimately his relationship with the club, I cannot possibly see Grimaldo coming to this club. I don't know if you agree with me on that, Diana. And then uh, Alex Moreno is somebody that, again, with unless Barcelona is playing Rio, I saw Rio two or three other times this season, but I haven't really seen that that much of him. Um, but he is somebody that is uh, established and seems to be well-liked around Spain. Uh, but what do you think? I mean, do Barcelona have to spend money on a left-back, or uh, is, a, is a cheaper backup option just going to do the trick? I don't know exactly what the club is planning in that regard, but I know that Alba does need not necessarily like a backup, but like somebody who who would actually compete with him for the spot because I feel like with him, just like with the Busquets, I mean more with Busquets than him, but I think that they need, you know, like challengers for their positions because they're, they tend to get comfortable in the in the roles that they play and they're in their starting uh, and always being in the starting lineup and comfort is something that top players shouldn't really experience. I mean they they live for the competition and I think that competitions in the squad is something good for them. So I don't know what the priorities should be. I think that definitely the attacking part and the speed in attack is more of an issue than the left back. But uh, it's definitely one of the positions that we should be considering. I'm not exactly sure how much money we would have left for that or you know what the actual list of priorities is. Yep, uh, certainly. I, I, I think that it's going to be a matter of whether or not the club uh, is considering. And we look at it. It's funny to me as well that Juan Miranda, who last season was going to be the backup, do you think that he would get called from Barcelona B? And not only did he not get called, but now a year on, he they, you know, the club seems to think that he's farther away. But I don't know if it's the club. I think it's just us as the fans believe that Juan Miranda is a year more removed. And I just like the way I've been talking about Ava Ruiz, that not that it's a wasted year for them in the third division, but they certainly did not make the leaps and jumps that we expected them to. They did struggle at times in ways that Pooj just did not, and he seems to be a, a little bit closer to the first team now, even than the other two. Um, so I don't know what happens with Ma Miranda, and I think he's a big piece of the puzzle on whether or not the club is going to trust him. So even if a deal is done late for a left back, I don't know if it'll come you know, later in the window. And also remembering that um, at Ibar, Marco Correa had a pretty decent season, it was mainly as a left winger, though, in, in, uh, where a lot of times when they would play five at the back, if you will, but they would play with the, the two wingers uh, way up the field. So I'm not sure if Marco Correa really is the defensive option at left back. Um, but in the same regard, I think uh, he's going to be somebody that Valverde and the coaching staff or whoever the coaching staff is at Valverde, uh, again, we'll get into that in a second. But uh, I think the coaching staff will take a hard look at whether or not Kukurea is good enough just to be a backup, which I would tend to believe he is. Uh, and again, he would be coming back for uh, a much cheaper option than going out and splashing a lot of money. But in the same regard, the reason why you get a Mendy is for the same reason that I think I'm pro bringing in Delict now because Ferland Mendy uh, at just I think he's about to be 24. That at that kind of age you're you know you expect that you would have then your starting left back uh, not only when Alba leaves but then for six seven years after that. Uh, so if you want to put yourself in that kind of position, that's a good idea. Now putting yourself yeah I agree. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I agree with the thing you said about Kukurea. I think that he should definitely be given a chance at least you know like in the 
summer to see how he's evolved at A bar and playing in the first division. But the thing about the thing you said about the youngsters and their progress, this is the problem with fandom and with knowing all of these kids from when they're like, you know, when 15 or 16 or even younger than that, because we tend to think as of their progress as a linear process. You know, they just get through the steps and they will get to the first team. But it rarely works out like that because there are developmental steps that they don't all take at the same time. So for one of them, you know, playing in the third division may be too much at the age of 19. But for others, they can go through it swimmingly, like Ricky Puch did. So this is not to say that they won't be great players or that they don't have a chance in the first team or anything like that. It's just to say that young players evolve at different rates. So I would tend to trust, I mean, I know that they had a good coach this year in uh, Garcia Pimienta, who is extraordinary as a development coach. So I think that the year that they had, regardless of the results, I think that it, it did them well, generally speaking. I don't know how that speaks to their progress in the first team or whatever, but I think that it was good for them. Yeah, and I, to the point about that linear progress, Dion, I think that's something that we do kind of, um, we don't understand because, again, of keyboard warriors, you don't want to put too much stock in guys that aren't in the first team. So I think people say it's about La Masia and they want to understand that uh, La Masia, but they don't make the extra little a bit of effort or I think people can uh, very ignorantly speak very quickly about La Masia on the internet. So, uh, you know, even in the, my, my own case that, we can't see a lot of those youth team, youth team matches. So when, was it three or so years ago, four years ago, when Mateo Mori was showing up, and then when he was starring with Abel Ruiz and uh, back when uh, uh, Sergio Gomez, who's now at Borussia Dortmund, they were lighting up the U-17s with Spain, and then they were just having plenty of international success, banging goals, working all together, um, winning trophies. And Mateo Mori was seen as the highest, uh, you know, one of the most highly touted right backs, not just at Barcelona, um, but in any youth academy. And yet, you look now, we're two years on, basically, from, from that moment. Mateo Mori has, uh, he had a, a, he missed basically the entire season this year. He was able to do a little bit of training, uh, had one or two matches, but uh, two big injuries completely saddled him for the whole year, wasted a whole year of his development when he was 18 years old. Uh, and now he's just turned 19, and he had, in previous summers, said he didn't know if he wanted to return or be at the club long term. And now this summer, it's basically guaranteed that he's leaving. And the way that this news is about reported, that he went from being our right back of the future for, for a decade, and now he's you know an afterthought, completely forgotten and leaving the club seemingly as with a disagreement about a contract because the club didn't want to pay um, not only somebody so young, but somebody who had missed such pivotal development. And so they wanted to take, you know, say that, you know, if you want to, you have to prove that you're worth the money that you're asking for. And he, apparently he was also asking for a, basically an automatic place in the first team after a year of Barca B that, again, you don't know when it comes to Miranda and, and Chumi and all these players that are so promising when they're 17, 18 years old. You don't know if they're going to cut it into the first team and how soon that process happens. So how quickly in two years do we go from Matteo Mori forever at right back for Barcelona in the future to having it be this guy that nobody had heard of a year ago in Musa Wagwe, again, who stars at the World Cup for Senegal, and we still didn't know his name, and now he shows up at the club, and you think that 
if with Roscoe's question, do you believe that Semedo could leave this offseason? If Semedo were to leave this offseason, and then you have a rotation of Semedo, or excuse me, Sergi Roberto and Musovagwe next year, you don't know how well that duo is going to do. I think it, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in people, but in the same regard, it's a new thought that, again, a year ago, as I talked about Umtiti and Langley and Arthur and all these diamonds in the rough that we didn't even consider before. So when it comes to a guy even like Nelson Semedo, how would you feel and what kind of trust would you have if he had, if he left the club this offseason? Uh I don't think he's leaving. I hadn't actually considered that possibility before today. But, uh, you know, I think that basically I'm not sure I want to see Sergio Roberto playing as right back. I get why he's important in that position for from a circulation of the ball standpoint and the fact that he gets the role tactically better. But I think that uh, Semedo can be a better option in that position and that he should be the main starter and Sergio Roberto should be a backup or even Musawagwe should be a backup. So, yeah, and my scenario for the squad, uh, Semedo leaving isn't uh, really a thing that I consider. Yeah, I don't think it's time for him to go either. Uh, I think that might be... I always think when I see any rumor, um, you know, who put out this rumor? Who benefits from this rumor being out there? And I don't necessarily know who benefits from a Semedo leaving the club rumor. I, you know what I mean? That one, that's, it just doesn't seem to have much credence to it at all. And I think it might be something to even stir the pot. So it could even be some kind of, you know, so I, I, again, there, there's no rhyme or reason to it uh, unless maybe it's even for the agent to try to get him more money, you know, because, again, so many of his teammates are making so much more uh, on, on wages than him. But nevertheless, uh, Jame asks, why is Suarez getting his surgery now? Because he has the Copa America in the summer. And that's Bingo. Unfortunately, yep. the Copa del Rey final. Bingo. There it is. Yep. And then I think at his age, he wants to try to win international trophies as well. Just like, again, I think most of us are going to be rooting for Messi at the Copa America. For I think there's a lot of anti-Argentina. And depending on where your allegiances lie, Brazil, Argentina, or Chile, or uh, wherever it might have you, uh, I think for as a Barcelona fan, I'm going to hope that Messi can bring home the title uh, again because I have no South American allegiances. Uh, but... Luis Suarez, the same thing. Uruguay have been a good team at the World Cup, Copa Americas. They've been so close as well, and they haven't been able to get it over the hump. So for him, uh, not to say that he's not dedicated to Barcelona, but you get this surgery now, and even if he can't come back for Copa America properly, uh, getting the, the surgery earlier means that you're in better shape and you're in better condition for next season. So I, I think, as I always say about the Copa, Amer- uh, Copa del Rey final, that while Valencia will be difficult, I think Barcelona still have the talent to get it done. Even without potentially Coutinho and without Dembele and without Luis Suarez, uh, Barcelona still have Messi. They still pound for pound, player for player, uh, have more talent than Valencia. And if they want it more than Valencia, Barcelona will win the trophy. If Valencia wants it more, they're going to win the trophy. I think that's how the Copa del Rey final is going to shake out for me. Yeah, I agree on that. And the thing about the... You know, the thing about the Suarez and this surgery is, again, the fact that all throughout the season, the focus has been on, you know, getting the Champions League and winning the Champions League and whatever, and there's, there's been this obsession. And I'm sure that if we wouldn't have failed so tremendously in Liverpool, he wouldn't have had the surgery right now, and he would have still focused and played through the pain or whatever problems he had, as he has done all season. So that makes me consider a different thing why if he has had these problems all season as we've known because he actually had to stop at one point during the fall 
and not go to Uruguay for national team duty and stuff. And if he had this, then why hasn't he had the surgery before? You know, and like, okay, you missed two months in like September, October, whatever, and then you're good for the next season, for the rest of the season. Why do you play through the pain for a whole season? Like, I don't know. For me, these things are just weird. The calculations that they make, like, I mean, it's not my life. It's not my body. I don't get to make these decisions for them. But, you know, sometimes I do wonder how they prioritize things and how they think about it. Yeah. Yep. And I, I, I agree with that. And I think if Kevin Prince Boateng had a little more, uh, a little more, uh, how do I say it? Finishing product, or wound up impressing a little bit, or any bit at all. Uh, then I think Suarez might have had a few more weeks off, a few more days off, and uh, I think we would have seen that surgery maybe sooner if you trusted that. But again, we don't know how long he'll be out for. But I think we'll wrap this show up with a final question. We actually got it via email from Patrick. How would Barcelona do in the Premier League? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, a couple of years ago, I would have probably said that they would, you know, win it no problem. And even now, I consider them to be, you know, like obviously a top candidate because Messi during a league season is kind of unbeatable, as we've shown during the past decade. But you know, in the past two years. City have been amazing, and now Liverpool have been basically matching them this whole season step by step. I mean, to have a race that goes to 98 and 97 points in the Premier League is amazing, like unseen before. So, yeah, they'd definitely be in contention for the trophy. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, looking at Barcelona success, uh, not only in Europe, but Messi even against English teams, all these different factors. I, you know, I, unfortunately, I have to say it, I think Barcelona, who do have the higher ceiling, because, again, they still have Lionel Messi. So if you had to win one game, unfortunately, yes, Barcelona lost to Liverpool in a head-to-head. But I think the point still stands that I would trust Barcelona 8 out of 10 times to win one match because they have the more talented player um, against Liverpool or Man City. But over the course of a season, you know, when you really look at Man City's squad and their roster. Uh, there were pivotal games this season when Kevin De Bruyne, who I guess you'd say is their best player, was coming off the bench. You know, David Silva. Yeah, he's basically yeah. been kind of a non-factor all season, and yep. they've still gotten 98 points. Right. And yeah, right. And Raheem Sterling is basically doing all the things that Barcelona wish that Usmane Dembele was doing. He's having the season that you'd wish that Dembele was having. Uh, and again, has, has Sterling been their most important player? Has Sergio Aguero, who's been putting Gabriel Jesus, who Barcelona would love to have as a number nine, he's the sub option for Sergio Aguero. So I, I think, you know, I, I think people not only give the credit to Pep Guardiola, and it is easy to discard how deep Man City's team is because, again, them and PSG, they have a lot more funds, they have uh, backing of whole countries. Uh, in the Middle East. And so Man City have a little more money to work with. And, you know, I think it's no surprise that their squad is deeper, but that's what's necessary in the Premier League. So my question for, uh, you know, not my answer, rather, for what Barcelona do in the Premier League, is that I think they could win a trophy, certainly. They could win the Premier League trophy. I think a treble uh, or uh, the four, the quadruple, uh, that Man City was chasing down for a few weeks there, I think those things are impossible with the squad depth that Barcelona have. But in the same regard, if 
if the Blagrana were in the Premier League, they'd be getting Premier League money, which is different than the Liga money. And so I think they could easily reinforce their team a little bit more with that kind of money. So I think you're getting into a lot of hypotheticals here um, about the different advantages they would have for being in the Premier League and how that would help them to depth in their squad. Uh, and again, the same re- regard that Man City are getting results by putting a guy like Phil Foden in. So I, I think Phil Foden is a similar talent to you know, him and Ricky Pooge do draw comparisons to each other. So maybe with those added matches that Barcelona is going to throw him out there a little more then you see a little more promise from him and development and all these good things that happen uh, when you have those kind of FA Cup uh, or the Carabao Cup and you have these different uh, tournaments to throw your young talent into uh, in this regard that Barca really just have those the first leg of those Copa del Reyes that they were willing to take a chance on with their youngsters. Uh, so I think that it's possible to win it. But I think Barcelona just don't have the depth necessarily. I think they would easily every year, though, finish top four. I don't think that would be a worry. They're better than Arsenal, Chelsea. I think they're better over season than Tottenham, Man United. Uh, so I think it would just be basically a, 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 three te- a three-horse race at the moment with City, Liverpool, and uh, Barcelona. Yeah, that's basically how I, was, how I see it, too. And uh, basically throughout the season, my, thought, my thoughts were that these are the best three teams in Europe. Obviously, if only one of them made the actual final of the Champions League. But, you know, that's how knockout games work because the better team doesn't always progress. Yep, yep. And uh, that's a remarkable thing that when you look at the men's final, Tottenham and Liverpool, that uh, I don't think anyone in England, I think other than Spurs fans, would say that Tottenham has been a top side. They were so worried when they didn't reinforce the club last season with, you know, any top players. And they've got to the Champions League final without Harry Kane. It is a funny thing the way knockouts work. And it's unfortunate that the global media does define seasons that way. And we as fans now define seasons with uh, Champions League trophies rather than domestic success. So uh, the one thing I do want to say, if you do value Champions League trophies, though, the the women's team, we somehow went the whole day today without talking about the Barcelona Femini, which uh, next week's show, we will be talking about that Champions League final uh, between Lyon, who are the heavy favorites, and the Barcelona Femini, because I'll wrap this up by saying that for the Femini to be in that Champions League final is a huge success for them. Uh, and the fact that they... If, again, they do get the upset over Lyon, that would be in uh, just an unbelievable accomplishment for a team in the Barcelona Femini that really are in that second tier. They're not yet really, as you consider, uh, whether it's Arsenal or Man City or, or the PSG or Lyon, they're not necessarily in the top tier of women's division, uh, women's first division teams, but they're basically in that second tier as, as all of the Spanish them and Atletico Madrid are. But by winning the Champions League trophy, that would... Uh, that would take them to a, a higher level uh, and that the, the club is taking notice as well, selling their Stanley jerseys, Stanley being the sponsor. So um, I think while people say, roll their eyes, I don't care about handball or the Femini or anything like that, even even uh, our good friend, our good friend Frances, it's true. It might be the harsh reality that people don't care, but it doesn't mean people can't start to care, if that makes any sense, Diana, that I think it's time that people try, give some effort, try to care, and you're going to find that it's 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 in a season where everyone is sad and frowning and miserable Barcelona uh, Femini are in the Champions League final and that's an exciting thing regardless so on Saturday uh, for me it's the afternoon for you it's the evening in Barcelona it's in the evening uh, uh, it's, it's happening in Budapest actually uh, so it's going to be an exciting game and I'm excited for it Diana yeah I'm excited too and it's been a great progress over the last because the team has only been professional for four years exactly so they were amateurs before they were semi-professional, so to speak, because they 
had jobs and they also had, you know, like their career as football players. So they only turned professional like four years ago. So their progress has been remarkable. The investment the club has made has been excellent in this regard. Of course, over, over the last four years, you've also had us not winning the league as we had before. So that's been a bit weird. But the thing is that this investment uh, has led to the point that the section, the, femi- uh, the f- women's football section, is actually self-sustaining because, because it has gotten investment back and it's gotten sponsorships and the team can sustain itself. And that's, I think, maybe like the only other section except for the men's team that can say that in the club. And I'm not saying that people should care about women's football if they don't, because I'm not like a huge fan of women's football either. Uh, I support them and I think that people should care about what they care about. But I think that the club has the responsibility of offering a place for everybody who wants to play the game and who wants to play any game or any sport that they want and they that the club has on offer because i think that the essence of uh, the football club barcelona is more than just football it's a multi-sport uh club it has various sections some of them are, are professional some of them aren't but i think that it's a place where people come together to practice a sport that they love and it should be a place where you know regardless of who you are, uh, whether you're a woman, woman or a man, you can come and do the thing you like. And I, I really think that the club needs to, you know, keep supporting all of its sections and all of its sports and everything. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. That, yeah, it's not, if you don't want to watch it, if you don't care, then you don't care that's your opinion. You're totally entitled to it. That's fine. Um, but as I would say, again, there are exciting things happening uh, with the name Barcelona. So a- at least if you would like to indulge in it, I-, I think it's the same way where, you know, if you're having a bad day or you wake up tough and you put a smile on, eventually you realize that you're happy. And I think this is one of those circumstances where you didn't, again, four years ago, it didn't even exist. And, and now it's something that uh, is certainly something to celebrate. But anyway, I-, I think it's time for us to celebrate the end of this show. Uh, Diana, thanks so much for you, the listeners, for tuning in. Uh, you can tap in the app and check out the show to subscribe. You can find us on social media, too. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me. And on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions. And you can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Podcast. I had a video come out late last week about the five reasons why we thought this year was different, where I kind of break down uh, the, the five things that we thought were issues last summer that I actually believe the club did fix, and yet we're still in the same circumstance here, having crashed out of the Champions League. So, it's, again, it's not really a positive video, but it, it is something to think about. Uh, so check that out and subscribe on YouTube. Check us out, hit that subscription button, and so that'll do it for this show. Thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca.